Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday, February 16th. We are here live. Phone lines are open. I see we've got a call waiting in the queue already. I'm going to get to that here in just a minute. It is a free-for-all today. No guest, no theme. It's all about what you want to talk about today. So jump in and join us. We're opening those phone lines right now. 855 950-3835 is the number to join us. We'll get to those calls here in just a little bit. Uh, I'm going to grab a call here. Looking at some of the headlines this morning, I've got a, a bunch of headlines that i got to put together and do a commentary yet this week. It, this week, I've got too much material. I'm trying to get it organized and figure out what I really want to focus on. A couple things this morning that I'm already looking at. You know, You see all this, uh, the last couple of years, the problems with the food supply. We could go through lots of them. uh, When the farms and and food processing plants had to shut down and we kind of got behind, then we had big COVID outbreaks in meatpacking plants. Remember that? And that created some shortages. We had the flooding with the uh, hog farms, which was a problem it's hard to remember a lot of these, the supply chain issues that started causing food shortages. We've had a lot of outbreaks, both meat and plant foods, factory foods that are contaminated. Recently, we've got the chicken issue that we're still dealing with. The The avian flu is wiping out chickens. We had an issue where a nationwide feed source, for some reason, Uh, the chickens weren't home flocks, weren't laying eggs anymore. They stopped laying completely. It makes you wonder what's going on with our food supply. And if all of this stuff that we're going through lockdowns, masks, I'm hearing something now, 15 minute cities. I keep seeing this headline. I know nothing about this, where it came from. I have a rough idea It's cities designed so there are no vehicles. I get that. I just haven't done enough research on this yet. So I've got to go check that out. There seems to be an awful lot of evidence that our tyrannical governments around the world, not just here in the United States, this is going on around the world. A lot of very similar things are happening. Many of the first world countries are have just basically opened up their borders around the world and migrants are flooding in from everywhere. Just some strange stuff. Then I started noticing this last week that mainstream media, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, some big newspaper names have been running lots of weird ads about skipping meals and not eating as much. Wall Street Journal had a big article about if you need to save money right now because of inflation, maybe you should skip breakfast. On one hand, this is actually a good idea for most people in the country. They overeat, obviously. For people who are eating some sort of a paleo-based diet, real food diet, they're not overeating. Many of them already skip breakfast. We've been talking about it for years. It's healthy. But when the mainstream media starts talking about skipping meals, they're not interested in your health. Nothing in these articles was about fasting or health. They're just trying to warn you that, you know what? Maybe we're not going to have enough food. 
you have to wonder where this pattern is going. I've been talking about being prepared for a long, long time. If you are not pressure canning meat at home, I would start doing it right now. Really, I, I... Here's the thing. You can call me a crazy conspiracy theory doomsday prepper if you want. That's fine. Doesn't hurt my feelings. Tell me where the downside is. Somebody tell me where the downside would be if you went out right now, bought a pressure canner. By the way, they're in stock. American, all American uh, has all of their canner versions in stock except their largest. I am thinking about buying a second canner. I have a 25 quart their biggest is 41. I'm thinking about buying it. That one is back ordered for about a month, but I may just order one of those. Uh, you can't have too many. Go buy a half a cow. Go buy a whole cow. Go in with friends and buy the, or neighbors and buy the pressure canner and all the equipment and the cow together and have a big weekend canning party. Can a bunch of meat. Don't bother with vegetables, by the way. You could ferment those if you want. I don't do a lot of canning of produce. I do some just because I have a huge garden and the produce is free, but I I wouldn't go buy vegetables and and can them. I wouldn't waste the jars and the space and the time. Meat is what you're going to want in a survival situation. And yeah, I'm talking about survival situations. There seems to be an awful lot of bad stuff happening around the world. I could spend all day talking about it. Um, Well, I'll tell you where I am on this. So I've been preparing for several years now, many years. My primary focus, food and water. And of course, you've got to have weapons to protect your food and water. I didn't go into some of what might be considered the more extreme areas. Uh, I'm changing that now. I ordered a uh, Geiger counter. I do carry uh, iodide on hand for nuclear fallout and a Geiger counter to check on it. And actually, my secondary MOS in the military, I was a helicopter crew chief, but I loved learning, so I'd take every class they would give me. My secondary MOS was nuclear chemical and biological specialist. I actually knew a lot about this stuff. And I found a copy of the army manual that I was trained with. And I got a copy of that. It could happen. Could happen in a lot of ways. It could be a straight nuclear attack by somebody like China or North Korea. Could be somebody attacking a nuclear plant. I have one couple hundred miles away. So you should be aware of those things. But after what just happened in Ohio, I'm seeing all kinds of other stories about hazardous spills and fires. There's some big fact or some big uh, warehouse in Kissimmee, Florida, on fire right now that stores plastic pots for growing plants. There's you know huge clouds of black smoke. I bought a couple really good quality gas masks and some disposable hazmat suits. I kind of think I'm a little crazy for doing some of this stuff, but. The way I approach it is, you know, I've spent the last decade getting kind of prepared financially for stuff like this so I can afford to do this. So I don't see a downside. Now, I I get it. If if money is an issue, and for a lot of people it is, you'd have to pick and choose. You may not be able to do all of this. So you have to prioritize. I may start doing a show on being prepared. I'd have fun with it. I love it. Maybe we'll... uh, 
We could kind of, I said there was no theme today. You know what? If you want to have a theme, talk about getting prepared. Or, or if you just think I'm a little loony, let me know. Maybe I have gone off the deep end. Maybe I read too much news. I don't know. But uh, more concerned about things like this than I ever have been in my life. And I think anybody that isn't at least thinking about it should probably get their head out of their ass and start paying attention to what's going on. Let's, uh, Let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to Brian in New York. Brian, welcome. Good morning, Kevin. Yeah, great points. I'm definitely lacking in that area. And every time you talk about it, it's like, Ugh. yeah, but, but I agree. And I have a lot of notes. We'll eventually get to my 2022 versus 2021 business report, but I, I do have some, some notes here, all kinds of stuff. I'm fair with me. I'll be all over the place. On the power hour, you guys were talking about the ISB and um, the Cummins. And uh, yeah, it is a little off. The market is competitive, of course, power and torque and towing wars. And, you know, so the pickups do get the best factory ratings. And the ISB, they actually have a high output for the pickup. And it's only available in the 3500 pickup. You can't get it in the 2500. Can't get it in the 4500. You can't get it in the 3500 cabin chassis. Only in the 3500 pickup, they have a high output. And it's, it's actually not just a rating. The compression ratio is almost three points lower. And I'm assuming it has larger turbo to make up for it. And it, I think it makes over a thousand foot pounds of torque, <laughs> which is enough for a pickup, I guess. And the the new ten liter that's interesting. Um, it does seem a little small, but you know we have a tribe member. He's a pretty private guy. I won't mention his name, but you probably know who I'm talking about. He has an old international with the C10 and a power box. And yeah, he does a lot of really light freight, but that thing, I mean, he can really turn that thing up and it gets amazing fuel mileage. And it makes a lot of power as much as he wants to make with that power box. So that'd be interesting to see. You were talking the other day about cruise control and the engine brake in bad weather and I, I was I was glad to see we were on the same page there that they drilled that into your head, you know, if it's not a bright sunny day you can't use that. <laughs> and anybody that really knows how to drive, in my opinion, knows that that's just bullshit. Uh, well, it, it, exactly. Go ahead. I'll admit we should be more careful clearly But if you can't trust your own driving skills to be able to use those things, then maybe you should do a little remedial training. (laughs) Well, and even the 80s, before you even know that a wheel locked up on the jake brake, it turns the jake brake off. Right. And and the crews, you know, you do have to be a little more careful with that. You you can have some wheel spin if you know, you got to pay attention to that. But but if it gets really bad, it'll shut the crews off, too, before you even know what happened, you know? Well, and, 
like I said, in in dry conditions, let's talk about those first. Being on cruise control is actually safer. And we talk about cruise control for efficiency and all those things. We're not always saying you should be on the cruise, but we also shouldn't be afraid to use it when it makes sense. And when you look at a lot of accidents, the reason behind the accident, following too close, not paying attention, something like that, milliseconds can make a difference between an accident and a close call. And the difference in time when your foot is on the throttle actively accelerating and something happens and you have to come off the throttle and onto the brake, the difference between having the cruise control on and having your foot in front of the brake, not on it, not riding it, just sitting in front of it on the floor, there's a big time difference. You you gain 100 feet or more in a safety buffer at the at that point. Yeah, and and I think people really miss how much, I mean, it's, it's kind of remedial, but it really does tie up a lot of brain processing power to, to manage your speed well yeah. uh, with your foot. And when you have the cruise on, um, it frees up that, that brain power to pay attention to everything else. Your speed's managed for you. And I use so, it to keep myself... But- out- out of trouble in town, you know, with speeding tickets exactly. and yep. and even in bad weather because it it keeps you at the speed you want to be at. You know, your point. speed can drift faster than you want to be. Yeah, let's when you're so, pedaling. Let's be clear: we're not saying you always use the cruise control and the Jake brake, no matter what. What we're saying is there are tools. If you're a good driver, you know when to use them and when not to use them. And we don't need some hardcore rule like you could never use them unless it's sunny and dry. Come on, let's just have a little bit of common sense. We should be better drivers than this. We should know when we can use these things. Yeah, and and their point is, okay, yes, the Jake brake's only braking with four wheel ends or two wheel ends if it's, you know, single screw. Um, and I get that, but you also can't tell me that every one of your brakes is in the same state of adjustment. And, and typically, you know, your, your Jake brake power is going to be less than your foot pedal power. And, well, here's another example. This is, and I know this is reality TV, but when I was a wannabe truck driver, I used to watch ice road truckers, right? And there's, you would hear them complaining about having to go down Attigan Pass, obviously in the snow, with a broken Jake brake. Uh, well, what does that tell you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, uh, oh, I just had a thought and I just, oh, here's what I was going to say. So in when I was in the line haul operation with FedEx, so your trucks drive from point A to point B, drop trailers come back, back and forth, most of the time dedicated, same roads, all that stuff. First off, my goal in driving was always how little can I use my brakes? Like, can I make it all day today without hardly ever using my brakes? Use the the Jake brake, downshift to slow down. And when you're doing that, you know that you're driving really efficiently, easy on the throttle, watching ahead, easy on the brake. I took the, uh, I was actually certified to train in Smith system long, long time ago. And the Smith system is a driver training for safety kind of thing. But as soon as I took it, I thought this is a really fuel efficient way to drive. And that's why I was interested in it. And between that, you know, being that 
like conscientious about your following distances. So you don't need to break. You can just decelerate and downshift and you know, really minimizing brake use between that and the fact that I pulled company trailers and used the trailer brake every time I could. I just got thinking in all the trucks I owned at FedEx and I usually kept my trucks to 1.2 million miles or so. I don't ever remember doing a brake job on any truck I owned. Yeah, that's that's evidence of safe driving right there for sure. Yeah. So this idea that, oh, you can't use your Jake brake when it starts raining. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to touch on the Fox Shocks thing because I feel like everybody's running around looking, oh, what are we going to do now? And I really think they're the answer. I'm not. I'm not really big on seat of the pants things, so I'm not going to comment on you know, on that part of it, but, oh, I just got a text from, <laughs> from the, the C10 caller we were talking about, oh. uh, 618, 618 flywheel horsepower. <laughs> wow. Holy cow. <laughs> That's impressive. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I had the road Kings on my old FLD and that that whole ball bearing bushing thing that was kind of an issue. It beat them things right out of the day cab, and I got my T six sixty. I have now. I got the Fox shocks for it, and if we believe their claims, they're better than the Road Kings, even stronger. They have a two hundred thousand mile warranty. Now I have heard that cashing in on that warranty for some people was problematic. Uh, they are cheaper than Road Kings. They're not cheap, but they're cheaper. They're like two eighty. Okay, a piece. You know, and I installed. A, I think I'm gonna reach. I, I installed a set on my tractor. Yeah, I installed a set in August of 2021, and and none of them have broken or sprung a leak so far. So that's good enough for me. I think. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to check that out. I mean, that, that sounds that that's a better price. It, if they claim it's better, okay, we'll see. I just, if, it, if it's even close to as good, I'll be happy. It doesn't have to be better if it's as good or even close to as good. In some ways, the, the Road Kings may have been an overkill. I mean, I came out with that silver line to try to, you know, kind of save the whole thing and that didn't work out and, there were a lot of issues there, but it'd be interesting to see if uh, if they can make these work. So, like I said, maybe I'll reach out to them and start talking to them. Yeah, and I don't remember exactly what Rogue Kings claims were, but real quick, they got a 7 8 inch diameter shaft, which that's pretty beefy. They're claiming 68 times the compression damping and three to four times the rebound damping of so, uh, factory. Yeah. So, and that's the real key right there. That's what, you know, we don't buy these shocks because they're machined out of aluminum instead of built out of exhaust tubing. We buy them because of their performance and it's the, the, the dampening, the rebound. One of the issues I think that Road King faced, and maybe we'll see with these, we did have a lot of problems with seals leaking. And once that seal starts leaking, that shock is no longer functioning properly. And I think what it may be is that you take 80,000 pounds and how rough our roads are today, and you put that much dampening force in that shock. I don't know if we have seals that can hold up to that. 
Right. And and that's another bullet point they have here, a triple redundant ceiling pack and an internal floating piston, which I'm sure John knows what that means, but I don't know what that means. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it helps to, you know, take a little pressure off of those seals. And that's, that's where the, the weak point comes in here. That's the problem that needed to be solved, even by Road King. I mean, I, I was a little disappointed with how many times we had Road King shocks fail at the seal and knew it wasn't poor quality. It wasn't poor workmanship. I knew that. It was simply, we don't, nobody has developed a seal and a, a system to handle this kind of pressure. We've never put this much pressure on a shock like this before. And so, and maybe they've figured it out. Maybe their new seal system will, will solve that problem. Yeah. Yeah. They've been good to me so far. So that's, Good. All I could really say. Um, on investing, I uh, I spent all this time setting up an individual 401k and then realized I don't even need it. Um, maybe a lot of people don't realize because I didn't realize if you're married, even if your spouse doesn't have earned income, if you file jointly, you still both get a Roth IRA max contribution of. 6500 a piece, which is, you know, 13000 so, a year. But pretty nice chunk of change. Before we talk about filing separately, give me one example of where filing separately creates an advantage. There are none. Very, well, very few. It yeah, is yeah so, I don't know. <laughs> it's so, you have to have such a weird tax situation that you would ever be able to create an advantage by filing separately. Usually you end up creating disadvantages, things people don't even think about. Like right. here's one. We love the Section 179 deduction in trucking because we buy expensive equipment and we want to be able to depreciate it faster using that rule. Whatever the number is on how much you can depreciate ahead of time, and it's been, in all the years I've been doing taxes, that number has been $5,000 some years, and it's been $500,000 some years. That That's how big of a spread we've had in that rule. It's gone back and forth. The Democrats always want to make it smaller. The Republicans get in charge. They make it bigger. It goes back and forth all the time. But if you file separately, whatever that number is gets cut in half. Gotcha. So there are weird little traps like that that you had. I can count on one hand out of thousands of tax returns I've done over the years. I can count on one hand how many I did filing separately. And I think every one that I did was because people were already separated in real life. They just hadn't went through the divorce yet. Right. Yeah. So definitely I agree with your ready fire aim on, you know, we've been so bad. I've been in business for eight years and haven't contributed a dime since I got away from the company 401k situation and we finally buckled down and had rolled rolled those old accounts over converted them to Roth, and we just started you know you can vanguard you can do an automatic weekly investment under 25 bucks a week we'll we'll cap you out and uh and the, you guys were talking about some of the minimums and the mutual funds 
I uh, all of those funds that Vanguard has are also available, most of them, as ETF exchange traded funds where of course you know this, but uh you know, there's no minimums. You can invest fractions of a share. Right. The expense ratio is actually slightly lower. Now there's a whole bunch of that can get real technical with that. I I guess in theory that's a lower cost. It's the only downside I guess is you do have to manually invest in those ETFs, at least with Vanguard. Can't set them up automatically like mutual funds. Yeah, you know, I, I when when ETFs really got popular a couple of years ago, I looked at them, and ETFs have a place in investing, but really, ETFs are if you're going to start playing around with stuff other than index funds. That you know, like I talk about, just get a couple good index funds and a good low cost, you know, retirement account. Put it on autopilot. Be done with it. You know, look at it once a year, rebalance it, decide if you want to put more money in, and be done with it. If you go beyond that, anything, whether they're options or individual stocks or even ETFs, it just requires a little more knowledge. And you either should have a good, you know, fee-based financial planner that can help you with that kind of stuff, or you you should go do some reading and at least understand what you're investing in, because they are different. Right. Yeah. Okay. I think we'll get to to the big daddy here. All right. So... Now, these numbers are a little bit cherry-picked. These are all my real direct trucking expenses, but it's not all deductible expenses, right? So you'll see the difference there in that between 2022. We're talking strictly direct operating expenses. 2021 has all deductible expenses. But I, uh, I grossed less than Matt netted. <laughs> and it, <He> did <laughs> yeah and it looks like i work part-time but very consistent at about ninety thousand miles a year nice um for so this 2022 is actually a low mileage year and it's i do a lot of short so i'm i'm working pretty much every day um hey my, hey, hey brian yeah go ahead i'm gonna steal your thunder just because i want to okay so when did you start driving? I started driving in solo in January of 2010. Okay. And when did you become an owner operator? February of 2015. Okay. Got it. So let's go back to 2010 when you were coming into the industry. Did you ever think that there would be a year where you would work 85,000 miles which is a, that's a pretty easy driving job. I think we would all agree on that. Did you ever think back in 2010 that you would drive a hundred or 85,000 miles and make $169,000? Did you ever think that that there was going to come a year that that was going to happen? No, of course not. You would have been insane to think that that was going to happen, but here we are. Aren't you glad you became an owner operator? I am, and you might remember I, I said I used to curse you the first couple years because it's your fault I became an owner-operator. Oh, I've been listening to you since about 2010, and, and I always wanted to be an owner-operator, but I listened to you, and I'm like, oh, come on. 
I can do this. This is easy. Just do what Kevin says. You can do this. You did. Very successfully. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, if you, yeah, it's been a a journey. I hate to use that word, but it's it's true. And uh, when you first started telling us that the sky was going to fall, I I was listening to you, but I wasn't. I was still buying equipment, and it was, I mean, it was equipment I needed, and I was financing it all, and I mean, you know, it's it's all paid off now. Good. And I'm, I'm sitting pretty, but, but uh, yeah, there were two, I did want to compare 21 and 22, um, because there were kind of two lessons in here, I guess, and it surprised me even. Okay. Um, yeah. I would say, number one, it does prove your point about relationships. Um, and I'll get into And then the other thing was um, sometimes backhauls don't make sense. And, and this, that's the part that really surprised me. So everybody looks at rate per mile, do a lot of shorter hauls. I think about everything more in days and weeks than miles. Okay. And so... What I found, if you compare 21 and 22, because the spot market, low board market was uh, so bad comparatively to what we enjoyed in 20, you know, 18 to 21, in 22, I basically doubled down on deadheading in 2022 and just did more outbound loads for my, you know, my number one broker customer. And... Uh, in 2021, doing pretty much the same thing. I was doing a lot of work with them, which you can see there. Um, but I was trying to grab every high dollar load board backhaul I could at the way back. And sometimes I did turn down, you know, getting an extra outbound so that I could do the backhaul. And you can see basically I did about 50,000 in 2022 for random brokers. And in 2021, I did about a hundred thousand with random brokers. <laughs> and yeah, good, good. The gro- good at the end of the year, the gross came up. Yeah, and at the end of the year, the number, the gross number, wasn't drastically different, I guess. But um, I believe 2021, I was at like 289 a mile, all miles, trying to do backhauls. And in 2022, I was at like 321 all miles, deadheading, which is. <laughs> Which is the exact pattern and direction we want to see. I don't really care that there was no freight in your trailer a bunch of those miles. That to me, if you, if you can improve both your gross and your net by driving more deadhead miles, then you should do that. That makes total sense because those deadhead miles are the most profitable miles we run. Now, somebody's going to go, what? The hell's he talking about? Deadhead, there's no profit. Of course there is. I may not be getting paid for those miles, but I understand what you're doing. You're saying if I take this deadhead, now that you've gone back and looked at the numbers, if I take the deadhead, that's less time I spend on my, my primary freight, which is the most profitable. So it makes more sense to get back quick, empty, and get my most profitable freight. That makes total sense. But people never realize this because they don't have the data to go look at. Right. And, and I mean, I, I don't keep up on my number like I should, like you talk about. This is, 
this is what I've thrown together now that the year's over. <laughs> well, see, I, I it's better than nothing. You'll start doing more of this now, won't you? Yes. Makes sense. I mean, here's two big things I know right now. You just learned a lot about your operation that will make you even more profitable going forward. That's the whole point to this. We we track numbers, we watch, we learn what works, what doesn't work. Every year we get a little better. Matt has been doing this a very, very long time. Matt started this process of tracking the numbers, improving the numbers, building relationships, learning all this stuff years ago. And he's getting, he's reaping that payoff now. So are you. You're a little earlier in the cycle, but we see the pattern. You track your numbers, you analyze your numbers, you look at your operation, you go, oh, look, I made this change and it it benefited me. It was better. Maybe I should do more of that. That's one big advantage. Here's another one. It's February 16th and you're all set for your tax return. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. You're ready. Get it to your accountant. You'll be the first one in line. Right, right. Congratulations. Great year. Yeah. Well, thanks, Kevin, for all you guys do. Yeah, good stuff. I love to see it. I wish we had more people doing this, and I wish we had more people calling and talking about this. That was a great example of using the numbers to improve the operation, which, you know, we talked to Matt all the time about his numbers. That's what he's been doing for years. That's what allows owner-operators to make these, I'll call them insane numbers. But I love it. You know, I know we're in for a couple rough years, but you look at the changes that Brian has made and what he's done in the last seven years of being an owner operator, and he'll be okay in a downturn. It's rough. None of us like to go through what we're about to face, but I'd rather be prepared for it than not. Let's uh, let's go to Iowa. Thomas, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I called you the other day about my wife that had them polyps nipped off, and yeah. uh, they're going to send them in. Just long story short is you're going to laugh at this answer. They said, uh, you're precancerous. Come back in a year and get another. (laughs) Of course they (laughs) did. Of course they did. That's how the system works. We just keep you in the system. That's the whole point. We just want to keep you in the system. So long story short is I'm having her log everything she eats and drinks here for a week and then get a whole Lauren do discover call. So Excellent. we'll go from there on that. But what I really called about is I listened to that Brighton TV and they swear this chlorine dioxide is a cure all for everything. Are you familiar with that? <laughs> familiar with chlorine dioxide, but I'm not familiar. Now, wait a minute, chlorine dioxide. My head's getting confused with chemicals because of the train wreck and all that stuff. <laughs> you can even buy it on Amazon, so it is such a thing. <laughs> so what, let me ask you this, what are you considering this for? Well, he said it take care of COVID. Who's, who's he? He's, Hold on, who's he? The, the show I watched on Brighton TV was Plumber Bob. He's not a trucker, <laughs> but he's a plumber, Bob, and they had a video on it, and oh, my God, you just drip a little bit in your water, you know, a few drops and work up to a few more drops or something. Hey, hey, and, hey uh, hold on. Hold, hold on. Let's stop a second, because 
chlorine dioxide. What do we put in pools to sanitize them? Chlorine. This isn't any anything new, any big deal. Chlorine kills a lot of stuff. It is highly toxic. We can use bleach, chlorine bleach. So chlorine is, is so common, been around forever. It's what we disinfect things with. You know, as an emergency, if you know the ratio, you can put a couple drops of bleach in water to sanitize it so you can drink it. Those are emergency uses. I do not want to start introducing something into my body that is that highly toxic that it kills almost everything it comes into contact with. Yeah, including the, the good nuclear but version of sanitizing. That we that's emergency use only in my opinion. We would rather use mild antibacterial compounds like coconut oil. Oil of oregano is is more powerful. We even have to be careful with that. We don't want to be killing all the bacteria around. That's a really bad idea. Okay. He said it was people that had cancer and different things, and, and they were seeing really good results. So I bet it was an emergency deal, like you're saying. I would not go any... Now... Keeping some bleach on hand or other forms of chlorine for emergency water purification, if you know what you're doing, you can carry a little bottle or, you know, container of bleach with you if you have to, you know, hike somewhere out of an emergency situation. Yeah, I'll use a little bit of bleach to sanitize some some water coming out of a creek somewhere if I need to, but I'm not using crazy toxin in my body all the time. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I I don't know if he said all the time. I could have missed that part. So I may mean, misspoke there. You know, maybe it's just like you're saying, maybe for if you had cancer and nothing else is working, just try it. You know, I suppose. Well, that's well, well, going well with that. hold on a second, because I, I don't I, I don't I don't know his research. I've studied cancer a lot a lot in the last couple of years. Jason Fung just brought out a great, great book on cancer. Cancer is a metabolic disease. We have to fix the metabolism if we're going to fix cancer. What we're doing with something like this, you're familiar with chemotherapy, right? Yes. This is nothing. If you tried to use this for cancer, this would be considered a chemotherapy. And what chemotherapy is, a lot of people don't realize this. The chemo drugs, they're usually combination, multiple drugs, they are all toxins designed to kill cells. That's what they do. And and the way doctors have to manage chemotherapy, and they don't always do a very good job of it because it's really difficult, they try to only kill the cancer cells, which is impossible. You're going to kill other cells in the body. The goal is to try to kill the cancer without killing so many normal cells that you kill the human. But we kill the human all the time with chemotherapy. This is no different. We're introducing a highly toxic agent to kill the cancer cell, but it kills all the other cells at the same time. Okay, cool. That's very interesting. Now I got one more to throw at you. Stem cells. I've heard of them infusing stem cells that are supposed to be really good for you. Is there anything to that? I think there is. I haven't done enough research yet. We're still early into this. It's on my list of things to research. Um, I have some people that have gone through some and, and seen some results. 
The early science looks good on this. There may be something to it. I just don't know enough about it yet. Okay. And and cool. we may still be uh, really more early into in, some of this, too. Yeah. Okay. One more quick thing is if you guys want to know a real patriot rebel, look up Jeff Berwick. He's pretty crude, but boy, he's got everything figured out. We talk about, or I hear you talk about on your show, bits and pieces of stupid shit going on, you know? Yeah. You listen to him sometime on one of his videos. God damn, he's he's a rebel. So yeah, that's it. Uh, I want to take in more of your time. I appreciate I, it. Oh, no, you're welcome. Thanks for the call. I'll check him out. There's uh, a lot of those kind of people starting to come out of the woodwork, and it's a good thing. We need more of it. We need more people like that to... I don't, I'm not even saying I agree with all of them, and I'm sure they don't all agree with me, but we need people to stand up against the government and start questioning things. Let's, uh, let's go to Illinois. Brandon, welcome to the program. Well, thanks, Ken, for taking my call. I've got an oil sample I just wanted you to look at and get your opinion on it. All right. So we're looking at a DD-13 here. How long have you owned this? I'll... Three and a half years. How do you like it? I I love it. It's great. Good, good. I don't see uh, a lot of DD thirteens, and I've always said if I built a truck, I'd probably build it with the thirteen. Yeah, it it does excellent. It got it. It had like four hundred seventy thousand on it when I got it. I put about thirty thousand on it. I dropped the oil, put the OPS on there, and I changed it. The first time after that, I changed it. I had 125. I probably could have gone longer, but it's the first time having the OPS, and I, was, I wasn't too sure on the sample, so it was kind of about like this one, so I just thought I'd send it in and see what your opinion was. Looking at it, other than maybe adding a little bit more base, I think it's probably good to go. Everything's good. There's one thing in here that is really, really confusing me. Are you using Catalyst? Yeah. So the Catalyst is why the iron number is a little high, so that one doesn't bother me. The aluminum yeah. is really bizarre. There's a long history of high aluminum numbers here, and I'm wondering where the hell it's coming from and why. I don't know, and it's always been like that from the first time, the first sample I took. Uh, if I were you, I might even call Polaris. I might okay. ask them about this. That's a very, very unusual pattern. It's not just one sample. If it was one sample, we'd be concerned that something just went wrong. But this is this history yeah. goes back on every sample you've ever taken. Here's what we expect to see on aluminum. Yeah. Less than five is what we would normally see. A couple points, one or two, three, maybe you go up to six or seven once in a while. Your history is 26, 33, 35, 36, 40. Something weird is going on. But it's only going up at points. Well, like well hold on. But wait a minute. When was the last time you did an oil change? This one's got 153000 on it. Okay, let's do this then. Even though this oil is still serviceable, I would change it. Let's get that. Whatever happened to raise that aluminum number, we can't get rid of wear metals unless we change the oil, because we can't filter them out. They're too small. They're less than a micron. It's not hurting anything yeah. being in there, but it makes me a little crazy when I keep seeing that unexplainable number over and over and over. You know, 150,000 miles, you got your money out of this oil. I would change it. 
Let's see what's going on with that. Okay. I was going to try, let's see, my, well, go with this sample here. The first sample after the oil change, that would have been number seven. The aluminum was 22 on the first sample. That's what I'm on, concerned about. On this about. oil. That's what I'm and concerned about. And then it about. went up to a 26. Yeah, this pattern worries me, and it's hard to figure out the pattern when the when the aluminum just keeps building up because we haven't changed the oil. It just makes it harder to interpret. Okay. So, you know, you've got your money out of the oil. Let, let's start over so we make sure we don't have some sort of a problem because I don't know where all that aluminum came from. Yeah, because the, the other samples I had, like I said, I had 125,000 on it, and uh, the aluminum went up to 61. It was at 61. That's why I changed it. But yeah. it went from a so, 32 to 54 to 61. So here's the way we would do this. We, we drain the oil now, run another 25,000 miles on new oil. Hopefully, aluminum just comes back normal, and it was a weird anomaly. If it doesn't come back normal... We may even, I may even recommend there's a secondary test the lab can do on that oil. More expensive, you have to pay for it. But they can go in further and they'll actually take the aluminum and run it through testing equipment. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes they can pinpoint the part that it came from. Okay. Now what, what part? And the aluminum come from? Most of the time, we're going to be looking at upper cylinder, top end kind of parts for aluminum. There's not much aluminum. I don't think there's any in the bottom end anywhere to, th- to worry much about. Most of this is going to be upper cylinder, top end. Okay. Yeah, because the overhead was done just over a year ago. Well, in fact, no, it's been, it's been about 150000 because I had the overhead done when I changed the oil. Yeah, it, based on what we get out of this next oil sample, we may even get back in there and run another overhead and just take a look at it. You know what? I may do that anyway. It's time. You've got 150,000 miles. It, it's yeah. a good time to go do it. And maybe they'll find some. Whoever does the overhead, tell them I've had elevated aluminum for a long time. Just, you know, really do a good thorough inspection. Okay, uh, let's see if I can find the sample from the very first sample when I bought this truck. I think this one here. Uh, here's the thing, Brandon. I wouldn't go back any. I wouldn't go back any further because it's not going to tell us anything. Okay, we just we know okay. there was a problem. It's hard to tell if there is still a problem. So going forward, the only thing we can do at this point, get the oil out of there, sample again in 25,000, and let's go from there. Okay. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and do that. All right. Thanks for the call. I'll look forward to uh, okay. looking at your sample in a month or so. Let's uh... – oh, Matt just Matt just brought up a good point. Charger cooler. If something weird is happening with the charger cooler, it's primarily a, the aluminum and we're blowing air through there at high pressure right into the intake. So that could be someplace we uh, we want to check. 
Let's go to West Virginia. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, watch out for that uh, that toxic cloud in that part of the world. Uh, yeah, I hear you. Over that way a lot. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. I got a couple things. Uh, one on just what you just had there. Aluminum on these DD-15s when they're brand new and when they come out of rebuild tends to be high first 100,000 miles. I'm just something upper end, I think, that breaks in. It leaves a lot more aluminum in the oil. But I can give you my mine right now. I was at 33.26 the first 100,000 miles. After that, it came down to 11, 6, and 5. So the break-in had been a step occurring. And Tad's was the same way on his rebuild. Uh, he had it high for, uh, for one. It was really high for one, like in the 20s or 30s. And then it was down in the low teens, and it's down even further now. So I, I'm thinking something. I was, I was thinking it was aluminum from uh, probably upper cylinder break in after coming out new from the factory. You know, they had well, sharp that, edges, things like that. That that certainly could be, and I somehow I've missed that pattern. So I'm glad I got this call. I'll go back and take a look at that. So yeah, yeah, go back and look at some of the samples from newer trucks and see. You should see the the newest. First, first couple. Now his sound like they stayed higher, but he said he had it up in the thirties, and then he kept the oil in there for one hundred fifty thousand. That wouldn't have gone anywhere, so he'd have three or four samples in a row. Correct of having of right. having that high number. So, so for me, you know, like if I see a number like that, you know, oil's cheap enough if we have to do it. Go ahead and start from hey. scratch again to see what that number would be. Hey, Steve. Steve. Hey. I hate to interrupt your, your sure. flow here and your train of thought, but I can't help myself. I just read something that, uh, that, that's just so relevant to everything we've been talking about. And I think this will settle something. You know, I've been a pretty big fan of electric vehicle technology. I think there's a lot of potential there. I've also admitted I don't think we're ready for it. There's, there's a lot of problems. We go back and forth, but I'm pretty sure it's settled now. Our 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 vice president has settled this for us. Oh, good, good. I'm, Here, <laughs> I, I, I just watched a video. Yeah, it's sometimes you know I say I can't multitask, but sometimes I can. Well, actually, I don't multitask. I just ignore the caller sometimes while I'm doing something else, and then I just try to I just try to cover it up, and make up for it. We so, we appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, just so you know, I was not quite paying a hundred percent attention just now. But let me. Let me try to do somewhat of an impersonation. Now, obviously, I can't, you know, match your voice or anything like that, but I think you'll understand what I mean. Here, here's what I just watched our vice president say. Did you know that these electric vehicles, electric buses, and did you know you can charge your cell phone on the way home with a USB port in an electric car? Did you know that? <laughs> Uh, she uh, you got to do the cackle afterwards. She, so you got to actually. You got to do the cackle. Yeah, I don't even want to try. I'll fall over and choke her. I, I don't even John, know what. John, John Walco. John Walco can be the cackle. Okay? There you John, go. John almost go. got a cackle. Let's put. Let's like just tell John we want him to impersonate Kamala. <laughs> there you go. John's going to be with me tomorrow, so I'll retell this story with John cackling in the background. That'll be fun. That'll, that'll be good. Uh, yeah. It's almost like she has brain damage. Seriously. I mean, the, I know. 
The fact that Biden can't speak English anymore and can't put two coherent sentences together ever, and then this is our vice president? This is embarrassing. Yes, it is. It definitely is. But it's something we'll have to, we got to deal with uh, in uh, about uh, about 20 months or so. My God. You know, uh, Steve, I'm sorry. I'm going to cut the show short today. I want to go order my Tesla so I can charge my cell phone while I drive. How exciting. <laughs> that I, I tell you that, yeah, you know, we've got to do that. David, she took about 40 sentences to tell how much, how much fun it was going to be to have electric school bus. That was uh, yeah. amazing. He said, he said, and they'll be yellow or orange. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I don't know why, what that made a difference either, but, uh, but yellow, you know, yellow electric, School bus. Oh, hey, look, we all know the electric school bus. That's probably going to be one of the uses. We know the short term things will probably be one of the uses. But it's just, it's like, it's like cannot put a sentence together. You know, they do. They have people that can sing with that. They can analyze your vocabulary. Yeah, and they can give an IQ. And 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 they always used to say Dan Quayle was dumb, so you know he didn't have a real big vocabulary. And and so I would love to see that linguist come out of the woodwork right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would, that would, there there are no SAT words in her vocabulary. Let's hey, speaking of something else, since <laughs> since I brought up electric vehicles, one of the headlines I've, I just clipped. I didn't read the article at all. I clip a bunch of headlines. Then when I sit down to do my commentary, I read them and make my notes. One of the headlines was somebody is already – petitioning the FMCSA, our buddy Paul will will appreciate this, they want to change the weight limits for car haulers. Guess why? That's your cars are very heavy. Exactly. They're already petitioning the FMCSA yeah. to change the weight limits on car haulers because they know these damn things are going to be so heavy. That's right. Being heavier, they won't do much damage to the road because they are green. So, uh, <laughs> All the sense in the world. That's right. It's like it's like in Mich- it's like in Michigan right now. They have those stupid frost laws right now, and yet they're letting one hundred fifty thousand pound trains destroy the the highway. Let's, but let's, the rest uh, of us have to go cut our weight in half on certain roads. Let's think about something else. Lithium ion is not a good battery technology. It's just not lithium iron phosphate is a little no. better. But this lithium, we've got a problem yeah. here with fires. It is highly flammable and it burns extremely hot. You know, firefighters have said they're worried about battling one car fire. What are we going to do when we put, what, 11 of them on a car hauler? What if we have a a fire with those? Yeah, it'll be a mess. There's so many unintended consequences. Nobody thinks of, and and that's in everything. It it didn't exist. I mean, nobody ever thinks about the unintended consequences of anything that they do all they want because you know by then they'll be gone by the time those things will pop up and you know they, they'll be gone and it'll be the next guy's problem to fix it but uh, that that happens all the time out here it really does so the other thing i had was uh, adaptive cruise control and uh, and and the automatic braking and everything that we have technology we have today i love them flat out love them and i you know i'm on fancy gap every week and there's a lot of times there's fog on Fancy Gap. So I run, I go down Fancy Gap 
with my adaptive cruise control on. Not at full speed, but, you know, I can go down at a pretty good pace. But my radar shows me when I'm coming up behind something, it, whether I stop or not, that jake brake and those brakes would stop me if they were stopped in the highway. You don't see them. You could see them, you could see them with the radar number a lot quicker than you'll see it yourself. You know how it is when you're going in fog, you can't see sometimes 40 feet ahead of you. Right. And it works fantastic in, in that. Now, another thing I do is I'll set it even at a lower lower amount in a construction zone. And then if something happens real quick, it's going to help you get stopped quickly. It will not let you run over the car in front of you. Right. I, I will tell you that. It will not allow that to happen. And, you know, I think one reason it came out is everybody was out here texting and they weren't watching and they were running into stop traffic and construction zones and things like that i think it could be used in a lot of ways i i use it judiciously in rain i've got it today rain today and and i I use it judiciously in rain but i'm always ready to you know to 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 use it as i need it but not overuse it in there but some people everybody has that blanket statement never use it in in rain or or light snow or things like that and and i do and yeah you slow down and you utilize that it will help you it will help you. And the Jakes will help you also because sometimes you hit the brakes, you might get a little bit of a swerve, whereas that brake is not going to give you that swerve right. when it comes on. Well, so uh, to me, to me, it's, you have to work with it. You, don't, you can't just, you know, you can't just uh, leave it alone. You have, you have to, you have to drive the truck and utilize it as a tool. That's it. Well, and most trucks today have three stage Jake brakes. So we can even lighten up the braking power on the Jake. You put it down to one and it's not an abrupt braking. You're not very likely to break a wheel loose. And then you adjust from there. Again, it, it's, you know, we, we, everything we do in this country anymore, we dumb everything down. We, we play to the weakest common denominator in every scenario. It takes a little bit of skill to be able to use cruise control or a Jake brake in, in inclement weather. So let's just tell everybody not to do it so the dumbest people are okay. And we do that for our whole everything right. anymore. When we, we used to oh, seek yeah. excellence, now we, we cater to the dumbest. That is correct, and uh, but it's, it's going to continue to happen. So. But you know, like I say, just uh, always it, it, as long as we're just careful. Like that, I mean, I've used it all my life, and I'm uh, the last three point six million miles. I dropped the, I dropped the trailer in the yard in 1988. That's the last preventable accident I had. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, it's worked okay for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's worked okay for me. So. But, uh, but yeah, so, but we appreciate everything you do. And uh, I'll i let you head on to the next, uh, next one. We hadn't heard from Paul yet today, but no, <laughs> I I'm looking uh, forward to that. He's, he's down there on the board. We'll get to him. <laughs> I figured. Okay. Yeah. All right. Y'all. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Florida. Karen, welcome to the program. Good morning. I have a question about pressure canning. Okay. I have been pressure canning meat for a couple of years, even done done quite a bit of raw packing, but I'm getting ready to make one of my meat orders and I really hate to, I really hate having to pressure can it, but I live here in central Florida and, you know, the power goes off a lot for extended times and I would really like to have my shelves full, not just my freezer. Good. 
So I wanted to know your opinion between the beef brisket, chuck roast, or bottom round. Believe it or not, for canning purposes, I use the cheapest, fattiest cuts I can find. I wouldn't use brisket. Okay. It's expensive and it's a little too lean. You know, brisket is one of the hardest cuts to smoke. I have been trying to get really good at brisket for a lot of years. Brisket is difficult. You take something like a pork butt, you know, you can't screw up a pork butt. If you do, you you've really, <laughs> there's so much fat there. It's so forgiving. A brisket is the exact opposite. It is so lean. You, my brisket mm-hmm. recipe now is so damn complicated with multiple steps and temperatures. And to try to get a good smoked brisket, I would not can it ever. Use the, oh. use the uh, chuck roast probably. Nice and fatty and inexpensive and uh, does fantastic for canning. Okay, chuck roast. Because the other two they had was shoulder roast and bottom roast. And I just, I don't know a whole lot about the difference in meat, but I was looking at it because I figured the more marbled, the better. You're right. That's your first indication. The more visible fat you can see marbled through the meat, that's what we want. The other thing you can do is ask your butcher or just ask the guy behind the meat counter if it's, you know, a grocery store. Just ask him. Just say, you know, I'm going to can this. I I don't, I want something less expensive and more fat. And and they may have some cuts they can give you you wouldn't even think of. Yeah, well, I know last year, right after St. Patrick's Day, just before I bought a bunch of corned beef, and it pressure canned fat, and I raw packed it. Every, it was fabulous. Well, so, you so, know, technically you know, corned beef is a brisket. Well, that's that's why I was so wondering if it, it was. It, and I it, mean, I did, and that four nineteen a pound, you know. If you liked it, if you've done corned beef and you liked the way it came out and you're getting it at a good price, then absolutely. If you find brisket like that, give it a shot. Okay. All right. Well, yay. I know this sounds horrible, but I actually mark my cans different when I pressure can them. So I know which ones came from the grocery store and which ones came from my meat order boxes so that oh, I think when I'm giving it away. I don't think that's crazy at all. I think that's a good idea. I mean, it just sounds so horrible. But if you're going to continue with your Cheerios and Frosted Flakes, you know, I really hate to share a really good hamburger. With no, that's, that's a good idea. I agree with that completely. Okay, so my next little question. Oh, and I think I heard you say you had never raw packed hamburger meat, ground hamburger. I don't like to completely raw pack hamburger because I don't like the way it clumps together when you do that. So I I tend... Right. I have a weird way. The first time I did this, I thought, man, am I crazy? Is this going to really be bad? I actually take my ground beef out frozen... I leave it on the counter just long enough that I can kind of break a, a, a one-pound brick into like four chunks, you know, when it just thaws enough that I can break it up into yeah. four pieces. And I do like 15 pounds at a time of ground beef. When I do a batch of ground beef, it's 15 pounds is my batch. I actually throw all those frozen chunks into a giant pot of water and I simmer it till it just cooks enough that it stays separate. That's the way we do hamburger for Cincinnati chili. That's why I, you know, didn't have any problem raw packing it because it, it does change the texture. It's mushier, but it's a great start for, you know, like Cincinnati chili because yeah. the, the meat isn't browned. It is boiled. Yeah. So, yeah, and you control the fat that way. Correct. So, yeah. Okay. I have a, 
separate question on taxes. Uh, last year, my husband got cancer and he's now on total disability, but I still drove. Is there any advantage? And I would never have thought of this for your last caller who talked about filing separate since I, you know, I am a LLC and everything. The answer is no. Okay, good. Yeah. I don't even have to think about it or know any. There are really, really, like I said, about the only common time where we see married filing separately is because, like I said earlier, a couple has separated, but they're not divorced yet. Legally, they're still married. They have to file together, but they're not sharing their money anymore. So we file those people separate. There's no tax advantage. To okay. there, there's actually a disadvantage. Uh, we do it in that situation right. because it makes sense. But there are so few situations anymore. The answer is almost always no. Yeah, I just thought, you know, that would be a, isn't be a super simple return and be done. And, but then I don't even know. It's the first time we've done this. I don't even know. Well, here's how, here's how simple adding him to your tax return is. You put his name and social security number in, and that's about it because he doesn't have anything else going on. Right. Okay. That's all right. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Thanks. sure appreciate your show and all you've done for us over the years. I was at one of your very first TMCs in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> oh, not you weren't at one of the first. You were at the first CMC. The only one I did in Orlando was, was the very the very first one we ever did. Yeah, so still yeah. got my book and everything. My yeah, you know, um, you know who else was at that CMC, and I think he still holds the record uh-huh. for taking the most notes ever. Oh, no. Who was that? Dave Nemo. Really? Yeah, Dave Nemo was at the first CMC because I was on his show then. I didn't have my own show back then. Right, right. Yeah, I was a guest on Dave's show and Mark Willis on. That was when Sirius and XM were still separate. And I was on Dave's show Wednesdays. I was on Mark's show Tuesdays. So I was on Sirius XM, Sirius and XM every week. They were two different channels back then. Dave was at the first CMC and took pages and pages and pages of notes. That's so funny because I never knew what he looked like. So I wouldn't have known if it was him, you know? Right. Yeah. No, he was there. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for you and your team. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. We're going back a ways. If I remember right, I did my first CMC in 05, the end of Orlando, or uh, yeah, the end of 05 in Orlando. Yeah. Wow. Long time ago. Let's go to Texas. Fred, welcome to the program. Well, you know what else? We don't we don't smell those horrible diesel fumes when we ride the electric school bus either. She said. (laughs) (laughs) See, every time I watch her, I think, what has happened to our country? Well, you know what happens is is you fail upwards in the government. You you, you fail miserably and you get a promotion. She's embarrassing. That's the only way I can put it. She's yeah. just embarrassing. You know, sometimes I thought it was because they don't they don't want her to outshine the president, but I just think it's just her. I she has that nervous laugh. She is highly unlikable. I mean, look, her own state didn't even give her one percent of the presidential vote. 
yeah, which never is, really ran for anything. She's never really ran for anything. No. She's been appointed to every office she's had. Because she could never win but an election, never, I don't think. I don't think she could win an election for dog catcher. I, I agree with that 100%. It really is a shame. They, and, she got this job because of her looks. You know, you know not, not her physical look. Is it oh, a mutable character? She's, she's a, a female of, of color. I, look, we're not yeah. making that up. That's not a conspiracy theory. Joe Biden told us that. No, that's, he told us. That's the truth, yes. Yep. He didn't come out and say, I'm looking for the best qualified person to be my vice president, my running mate. He never said that. He said, I am looking for a woman of color. That's the only qualification well, the he cared thing. about. The, the uh, Supreme Court. Or how about... How about our wonderfully effective transportation secretary? He got he got uh, nominated because of who he sleeps with. Well, a hundred percent, and he was another failed mayor. So, like it, I said, it, you you get promoted, you get promoted in this in this administration for failure. Well, anytime you start using this ESG equity, inclusivity, anytime those words are happening, you know you are not getting qualified people because that's not what they're looking for. They don't even say... Yeah, I don't know if they, you... They don't even try to yeah. stretch a little bit and say, I'm trying to find the most qualified woman of color. They don't even bother no. to say that. No, it's all it's all about the boxes you check. So, so that's a, you know, watching what it is, watching her speak, you know, she said she's got this nervous laugh and this cackle and all that stuff. That That is so obvious. She does that because she is clueless about what is being talked about at the moment. Totally clueless. That's why we get the defensiveness, the laughing, the word salad. She can't even bother. Look, whatever topic she's talking about at the moment I could go Google in about 15 minutes and come up with better talking points than she ever has. She doesn't even bother to do that much work. You know, I just, I just wonder, these, these, these people have administration, you know, they have administrative staff, speech writers and researchers to prepare them for, for whatever topic they're going to talk about. And I don't know if they just throw caution to the wind and don't prepare any of them for anything. Or these people are so inept on taking the talking points and relaying them to the public. <laughs> I, I don't really know which one it is. Uh, or it's all of them. So let me say this. I don't think any of these people are rocket scientists. You know, Joe Biden's not all that intelligent. Kamala Harris isn't all that intelligent. Right. But we have had really intelligent politicians. I actually think Barack Obama is one. I think he has a pretty high Q, high IQ. Oh, 100%. 100%. Uh, Bill Clinton, extremely intelligent when it comes to just pure intelligence, no doubt about it. So sometimes yeah. I look at this and reading and, a room, too. Yeah. And when when you ask the question, you know, are they just incompetent or uh, what if what if they know exactly what they're doing? And this is all on purpose. You have to wonder sometimes because they're so inept. Right. Has to be by design. Correct, because they're not that dumb. They're really not. I mean, she's yeah. not, you know, any kind of a road scholar. I get that, but she has some intelligence. Yeah. Come on, I mean, she's not stupid. Yeah. I said that you cannot be you cannot be stupid and smart in the same in the same sentence. You can't, you know. So there might be some 
might be some validity to that, without a doubt. Uh, I don't know. Just real quick, you said ESG. Did, I just watched an interview. I have that uh, Fox Nation, Tucker Carlson today, with Andy Posner. Um, it's really, really good if anyone wants to watch it. I, I didn't realize this, what this guy has done in his life. A pretty remarkable life this guy's had so far. Uh, he was familiar with this one, of, but Who's this? He was the head of he was the head of Carl Jr. and Hardy's for really? seventeen years and turned them around. But he his whole story starts when his father was a car dealership a car dealer. He was actually a salesman in Cleveland, Ohio, the outside of Cleveland, and he delivered a brand new car to I think it was Hubert Humphrey. Really, and it, and he took a ride with his father, and he said, "This is this big estate, like only like five miles, six miles away from our house, and we had a real small house." He said, "Wow!" And when he was leaving with his dad, he said to his father, "He says, Dad, what does that guy do?" And he says, "Well, he's a lawyer and a businessman, amongst other things that the Humphreys have done." Right. And and he and he thought to himself, he says, "Here I am, an eight-year-old boy, thinking to myself, hey, I can do that.'" <laughs> right. And he, you know, and and. And and he became a lawyer, pays for most of his college by himself, graduated law school, had he was married with two children and only graduated law school with ten thousand dollars worth of it all himself by crushing concrete, painting houses, whatever job he can find. And it's just a remarkable story the guy has. But he was actually upper labor secretary under Trump. I never knew that. I didn't I mean, know I that he either. He was kind of involved in the Trump Trump organization, and I'm telling you, it is one of the most one of the most interesting interviews I've seen of of someone who started out really nothing, and his father actually accomplished owning a car dealer by the time he graduated law school, but didn't help him through law school. He did it all himself. Um, it was pretty pretty interesting. Yeah. Really, I mean, he. He so, actually worked in Missouri and, and changed the abortion laws and had abortion clinics opening up adoption centers inside the clinics to give women options on pro, pro-choice, like brought people together and, and formed legislation in, in Missouri. Like gonna, this guy has been I'm gonna go all over that the place. One. I'm, I'm and, not familiar with this guy at all. You know, the interesting thing, since you're talking about that, uh, I have to believe Tucker Carlson may be the hardest working journalist in the world right now. Yes. He, he doesn't need the money. I'm telling you that he, much. He puts out more really good content than I have time to watch. I mean, where does he find the time yeah. to do all this? I don't know. I know he lives in Florida now. He lives in Florida and Maine. He has two two houses, and that's where he does that's where he does all the shows from, all his nightly shows, everything. I didn't know that either. Um, I yeah, yeah, yeah. He does everything. Everything is is you know is presented from his his place in Florida or his place in Maine. Interesting. Yeah, he um, is just my God. Yeah. He's doing you know his nightly news show. He does a daily streaming show. He does Tucker Carlson originals, the documentaries, and they are in depth and really, really well done. And I know he's got a big team and all that stuff of writers, and but he, he's a busy guy. Yeah. I think he left D.C. when he was being, uh, they were going to his house 
and actually threatening his family people Got it. because of his political views. Hey, one, and I one, think he kind of just one more thing. This just came across my news feed. Multiple authorities responding to a massive train derailment outside of Detroit. Oh gosh, another one. Van Buren Township, wow. Michigan. Well, then, 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 uh, officials are reporting that only one car in the train was carrying hazardous materials, which is showing no signs of leaking or damage at this time. I'm also watching a uh, giant factory fire down in Florida with like rolling black smoke out plastic uh, pots to to uh, starter pots for plants. That I had a contract for about a mm-hmm. year. That was all I pulled out of my home, you know, area. I was in Northeast Ohio at the time. That was my major contract. That was my outbound freight almost all the time was a trailer load. You know how many little tiny starter pots you can get in a trailer load? Uh, And I would go out and I would hit like, uh, I would have like six or seven stops at nurseries. And I would offload these. at. I loved it. We're out in the country. You were at these, you know, cool little nurseries. It was a ton of work, hand unloading. and But I loved that stuff. But I wouldn't want to see a whole thing. Yeah, I'll tell you, a lot of that uh, stuff paid well. Flames. No, that's for sure. A lot of that, a lot of those little pedal ones pay pay very well. I did did that with shoes for Nine West shoes when they were big, and I had a pedal run actually with flowers. The other side of your thing, uh, Home Depot's. We did parts. Matt used Matt used to do a ton of flowers out of Florida. That was what Matt did. Uh, yeah. I don't. I haven't heard him talk much about flowers or plants anymore. I don't know if he even does that now. I did. I did. Uh, it was uh, at some local nurseries in Jersey, up into New England. It wasn't my contract. I was working, you know, at least to someone doing it. But you know, it speaking of speaking of flowers, when uh, I was on the Florida road team way, way, way back when, I got a lot of practice speaking. That's what we would did. It's what we would do. If you were on the road team, we would get booked to go out and speak at events. And they were not trucking events. I mean, we we wanted to go speak to right. people outside of the trucking industry and explain to them about driving with trucks on the road and safety and all that stuff. And there were trucking companies that got involved and sponsored it. And we would go out and speak sometimes at trucking companies. There was a truck driving school in South Florida that I would go down and speak at their graduations when they were graduating a class. But the one of the trucking companies I worked with in South Florida was... The lar- They also were an importer. They had a huge warehouse in Miami. They imported flowers and then distributed them. They, it was actually a New York company, and they had a division down in Florida. I remember going in that warehouse. The smell was overpowering. And I got a chance to get on work with them right before Valentine's Day, which we just went through. This was a long time ago. But I, I remember them telling me, that a typical load of flowers back then, the value of the flowers in the trailer, and I can't remember if this was wholesale or retail, uh, but the value of the flowers throughout the year of a trailer load of roses was about 100000 Thank or On Valentine's Day, wow. it was about a million. Yeah, yeah. All the prices went up, of course, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. You know, it's, it's funny how, how you learn things that no one else really understand. No one else really can learn being in our business. Sometimes, you know, I was uh, or just taking a chance and going outside of our our comfort zone and learning things. That was my favorite part about doing local P and D work, where you do like thirty stops a day. Or when I was doing more regional stuff with 
with the flowers and going out to, you know, nurseries. I was curious and I would would wander around the factories I was delivering to or picking up. I would talk to people. I would ask them what they do. I mean, I can't count how many times I was wandering around a factory. And all you have to do, carry a clipboard and look like you know what you're doing. Nobody bothers you. I would wander around and look at all kinds of stuff. Well, back then there was no insurances like yeah. like we have today. Yeah. Or, you know, none of that stuff. Because that's why I learned how to drive a truck in the Jersey Piers at 11, 12 years old. Yeah, exactly. Or like the nurseries. I, those are little family-run operations. I'd, I'd ask them questions, yeah. and they'd give me tours. And, man, I learned so much stuff. It was so interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that was really good about talking to talking to people. We used to do some of that in California. I was into Harleys. I still am. I don't ride anymore. But I got into the organization called Abate. And what we would do is we would petition because they always wanted to pass a helmet law out in California. And we would petition the state. So we'd go to Sacramento and petition the state to enact education instead of helmet laws. You know, get someone who's 18 you know, give them a course, a, you know, a training course that they know how to drive. And we would talk to some high schools. And here I am, I'm a Navy guy, and I'd have all of these bikers over my house. And everyone would be looking at me like, you know, all these <laughs> ex-Vietnam vets. And, you know, they're all, you know, just the regular biker-looking guys. And my next-door neighbor was a, a tired judge. She was awesome. And she would come over, and we'd make margaritas, her and all the bikers. She had a great time. Uh, <laughs> fun. Fun stuff. <laughs> well, there you go. But I was looking. I was watching some of that 100-year heart this morning. Yeah. And Dr. Wilson had an, an excellent – he knew some of this stuff. He was talking to a doctor, Peter uh, – uh, I think it's Osborne, Osborne maybe. Oh, uh and I'm a color. No, he was Osborne. Yeah. And he was talking about grains. And although I knew how bad grains were, it really was informative of how we get them into our system. Some of the, not just the, not just the gluten, but a lot of the other proteins that they have for defense and how it, it uses a whole different mechanism than gluten does to attack our system. So even if you get gluten free, a lot of the other proteins are so toxic, and they use what was that the receptors, the trans something receptors? Can't remember the terminology. You might know, but you know, I'm getting a, uh, different. I'm getting a weird different, audio different vehicle. Are you having any problems? Uh, oh no, I hear you fine. Uh, okay. I'm going again. I think I don't think it's on the recording or the live stream. I think it's just on my end, so I can deal with it as long as it. Yeah, I hear you it. fine. I hear yeah. you fine. But yeah, uh, it was. You, uh, it's really informative <clears throat> to know that just because you get away from the gluten, that there's so many other proteins in grains that are harmful for us. So grains really aren't <clears throat> a food that we should be ingesting at any le at any real. And he was talking about a lot of these, a lot of these uh, uh, pesticides, not just glyphosate that go on here, that they're very high in estrogen, estrogen receptors and stuff like that. And that might be contributing to all of these. You know, he don't know. He hasn't done a lot of the tests, but he does a lot of these gene testing to how this might be contributing to all of this LGBTQ transgenderism. You know, people don't know who they are anymore could be possibly from all of this, all of these pesticides. 
I don't doubt it. We we have things that are called endocrine disruptors and pesticides do that and they start to affect yeah. our hormones. And we do seem yeah, to most have... most of this stuff is all antibiotic based. So it really distri- disrupts our, our digestive system. Yeah, our, our microbiome, our hormones, everything. And, yep. and it's not a stretch. We're not saying that there's absolute proof. There's correlation. We haven't proven causation. But it's not that far of a stretch to say, wait a minute. You know, just 20 years ago, we did not have this much confusion about what gender you are. And and, right. and that's what his point was. Yeah. And, and look, if we look at, at these people, and I hate to even say it like that, but if we look at this scenario, who in their right mind would choose to be like that? Now, that may be offensive. I don't oh, really care. Human beings no, would not it, choose to be... So hard to, right. to go through the trials and tribulations they go through. That they're, you know, the, just the anxiety. Everyone has regular anxiety. Imagine having all of that added anxiety and, to you. And then they take it to such an extreme that they're willing to cut off their breasts or their genitals. Or this is extreme behavior. We have to look at this and say, wait a minute. Why are we forcing people to accept this? I'm not saying we need to crucify those people or punish them in any way. You have to figure out why a human being has gotten so far out of whack that they're willing to do these kind of things. And instead of questioning that, we're just beating people over the head and say, you have to accept them and call them by their pronouns. Oh, hell no, I don't. And I'm not going to accept right. them. Well, you know, now, now, let me make a clarification. I am not talking about uh, lesbian or gay. I'm not. People, adults who want to sleep with, I don't care who they sleep with. I really don't. That That's totally up to them. But when we get to this extreme that we're at now of, of doing double mastectomies on 10-year-olds, which is happening, don't call me and tell me... I'm Conspiracy, it's happening. I'll take you to the hospital's website and show you how they explain it. It's there in black and white. They're doing this. That I can't accept. This is extreme. It's not natural. It's not normal. And we should not be forcing people to accept this. We should be figuring out what the hell went so wrong. And we should feel empathy for these people that they are not living a happy, normal life. Well, that's the thing. And don't blame the people that are going through this. And I blame the institutions and the doctors and the hospitals and the people that are supposed to be there as safeguards. And the media. Which leads me. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, they're pushing a narrative for some reason as well. But, uh, you know, the drug companies, you know, all, all, the, all the, they're, again, that, that one, that one documentary he did about transgenderism. Tucker Carlson did. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, it's wow. evil. I mean, it gives, gives it's you, evil. it gives you a perspective. It gives you a perspective. And he has people that went through these surgeries and that are so miserable that they, that they're, they're, they struggle every day with suicide. I mean, it's you, just, you know, what's a little shocking to me. I'm following some people on social media that they're on social media talking about their detransition. So let's go through what happened here. 
10 years ago, they did a transition from boy to girl, girl to boy when they were a teenager. That was happening 10 years ago. Why didn't we know that? Yeah. And now they're detransitioning. They're in their early 20s. They're detransitioning because their brain has finally fully formed and they realize what a horrendous mistake they made. They'll never be able to reverse it and fix it. But that's a fairly common pattern. And it told me two things. One, there are a lot of people who realize that this was not a good idea and it's too late, but they're going to try to do the best they can. And two, this has been going on a long time and we didn't even know it. Well, that's like anything now. I mean, you know... Uh, you know, things don't come to light because it's a rare occasion. When we find out about this, this is, this is going yeah. on for, you know, probably decades. You're right. And then someone finally, finally blows the lid off. It's like anything else in society. How long have they been doing certain things? And then we find out about it. Right. And, and yeah. that, that yeah. kind of brings me to this point about what you were saying on Monday, how the media and our elected officials just, uh, you know, they, they just tell falsities and lies because they're trying to keep something going. And this is what's really important now. People, they're, they're, they're focusing on the, the new Congress, the Republican Congress, Jim Jordan, and about how they're trying to investigate Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. But what they're really doing is they're trying to show people left and right, Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever, at how our government interfered with, with showing people what's going on in, in the world uh, on all different fronts, uh, WHO, the, the CDC, the, the, you know, the uh, Justice Department, the FBI, all different factions of the intelligence agencies. Uh, they're, they, that's why it's so important to watch that one interview with Posner. There is a group of people thinking that if they if they have all the power, they can run the world in a better way than any other country or politicians right. doing. Right. Some of them are some of them are nefarious. They want power just for the sake of having power. But some of them really truly believe this, like that Klaus Schwab, Davos, and the whole crew over there. They truly believe that, uh, and it's really. You know, you shouldn't shouldn't be a right left issue, and everyone's deeming it as a right left issue. This is a, I think, these politicians that that like a Jim Jordan and a and a James Comer might have an R next to their name, but I think they're really for Americans. I don't think they really they're not doing this to to pat themselves on the back or become notoriety. Uh, as I think if Jim Jordan wanted to, he could have pushed against trying to get speakership. So yeah. I think he's there. I think he's there for a noble cause. You know, just because he believes certain things in government should be run a certain way, he's a Republican for namesake. But I believe he's trying to do these things, not just to under- uncover whatever corruption, if there's any for Biden and his family, but to show the true corruption of our government bureaucracy, which has been happening, you know, for 50 years or better. I right. Mean, it's not something new. It's just gotten it's just gotten more and more prevalent because of social media. And, and, uh, you know, when you, when you shut down the New York post, you know, for whatever re- you know, for whatever reason, whether they're right, left, whatever, but they had a true legitimate story and they, the, they're the oldest newspaper founded by Alexander Hamilton. Uh, you know, I mean, 
this is this is something that's true and it wasn't a day it wasn't two days it was two or three months before they got their accounts reopened yeah it was you know it's pretty it's pretty pretty scary on what our government the government's doing not not social media not not twitter hey. not facebook they're now they're, they're making the deal they're doing the deal but it's the government doing it hey i'm i'm watching this fire in florida do, do you know how big yeah. this thing is now it's a building it's a building and we're measuring the fire in acres it's a five acre fire wow that's a big building that's a- and the whole Five, thing, fire right there. the whole thing is engulfed. Yeah, the entire five-acre wow. building is completely engulfed. You know, it's really crazy how how you know you're supposed to have safeguards, sprinkler systems, and stuff that are supposed to douse the stuff out. I mean, what happened to this? What happened? How to did it get so far out of control? Yeah, how did it get so widespread? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, we is everyone at the sleep at the switch? Are, are you know, uh, local fire marshals asleep at the switch now? What, what's going on here? Or is there something more nefarious happening? Yeah, I don't know. I so, since so I'm already considered a, uh, you know, a, a crazy prepper, I figured I might as well go all the way. I am now <laughs> prepared for any kind of nuclear fallout or chemical attack or fire. Are you building a shelter? Uh, well, I already got that somewhat just because of the way our, our house is designed. We have a pretty safe room in the house, subterranean kind of half basement kind of thing, but uh, which is also where you know, all the food and emergency stuff gets stored. So it, that's well thought out and planned. But no, I, I realized I didn't have a Geiger counter. I had no way to measure. And stuff's not expensive. I mean, you can buy this stuff for a couple hundred bucks. I didn't go cheap. If I'm going to buy it, uh, you know, buying the good stuff, but you could go a lot less expensive than I did, and they're still functional. But and I bought a really, two really good quality hazmat masks and suits. Listen, do I have to start monitoring Lisa's house? Are you taking her underground for some reason? Yeah, yeah. Let's think about this. I have a, you know, I'm up at the top of the hill in my tiny little town, and our warehouse is down at the bottom of the hill. I mean, if Hit a go- I could hit our building with a golf ball. Uh, right between us is a railroad track, a very, very active railroad track. And there is nothing to say I couldn't have that same kind of explosion and chemical fire, and it would be about 300 yards away from my house. Well, you know, like, you know, you say that. And I have to cross a railroad track to get out of my development here. So That's what I mean. I mean how many yeah. of us have forgotten yeah. how close we live to a rail line? And now that I see, if it happens, don't expect any help from the government. They're not helping anybody there now. No. So you're on your own. No, no. You're on your own. And think about it. If there's well, chemicals in the air, you can't even flee. Yeah, yeah. I mean, coming from New York City, I didn't have to worry about any of this. There's no major railroads that go through the city. Right. Now that I live out in the rural country here, I mean, I'm not even rural anymore. It used to be a little better when I moved here. But, um, yeah, but yeah, we have trains come through day and night. And it's, it's a, you know, a half mile away from me, but right on the other side of, so we have the train track right in front of me on this side of the river. 
right on the other side of the river on the Washington side, they have a train track right over there too. So there's two of them. And where I live, there are only two roads out of here. Only two. That's not an exaggeration. You can either get on Interstate 84 to get out, or you can go across the bridge to the Washington side and use the two-lane Route 14. Those are the only two ways out of where I live. Right. Yeah. If they're blocked off, you're done. Yeah, toast. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. I might have to start looking into that, too. Another thing for my wife to criticize me about. (laughs) Thanks. Well, the good news is in the beginning, Lisa thought I was crazy. She is now completely on board. Yeah. In fact, every once in a while, she'll look at me and go, are you sure you're prepared? (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's great. Yeah. Uh, That's great. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, it's it's really scary what's happening in our in our society, how it's just the level of incompetency that we've put up with, I think, is coming back to us now with everything else that's happening. I know. You know, you, you hear you hear the, the stories of all of these near misses on airline runways now. Oh, that's we're not looking for the best and the brightest. So, I mean, I don't care who the what the what the pilot looks like as long as he can land, take off and land that plane because everything else is done automated automatically. But taking off and landing, I think, is still a pilot's job for the most part. Yeah, and oh, here's what's going on. I haven't talked about the aviation industry. It's um, I've got some stuff in my commentary about it. So several things have happened. One, we know we've had at least one pilot suffer a massive heart attack. You know, in flight. On takeoff could have been really, really dangerous. We also know that they changed the physical for pilots. You know, just like truck drivers, you've got to take a a physical to make sure you're safe when you're driving. It's kind of a joke, but the the pilot's physical is a little more serious. But they recently changed the requirements and they didn't make them tougher or more stringent. They they allow they lowered them. They allow more cardiac issues for pilots now. Why? Yes. Why would we ever go backwards on safety like that? And there is actually one pilot, at least one that I know of from Qantas, who has started a campaign. He thinks it's okay to fly these these commercial jetliners with one pilot. You don't need two. He wants to change the regulation so on some flights they'll be able to fly with only one commercial pilot. Wow. I mean, you have two pilots for for safety. See, like, and, and you know, they talk about autonomous. On, on the jumbo jets. Pilots on the jumbo no jets, you have, you have two pilots and a flight engineer who's also pilot qualified. Yep. Yeah. Because things, things happen, like you just said. The one pilot had a heart attack. Every, if he was the only one on the plane, you have 200 people on the plane. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. Uh, Every time when I was in the army, I flew a lot with the Air Force because they have a lot of planes. So sometimes we would use the Air Force to get us out to our training exercises. Uh, I also used the Air Force a lot to fly around because you can fly almost free when you're in the military. I flew over to Hawaii a couple times. I mean, you pay like five bucks for a brown bag lunch and the flight's free. And you just, you know, you you're on leave and you're in the military, you just go to an Air Force base, put your name on the list, and when there's an opening on a plane, you get yeah, on. Military hop. Yeah. Every yeah, military hop. Yeah. Every military flight I was ever on had a three-man crew 
I don't know if the Air Force does that on all flights, but everyone I was on had a three-man crew. Well, being a Navy, the same thing. You had three men. You had three men. I used to take I used to take E4s and stuff across country because I was in California. My family's in New York. I used to fly into Willow Grove, which is a suburb of Philadelphia, and my father come down and pick me up. Yeah, you know? and uh, we did. I did that all the time. You know, so uh, yeah, I you know I don't know why we're why we're sacrificing. I don't know if it's lack of getting skilled people out there or. It is just they they just want to do more with less or, you know, I don't know really the reasons behind it or or do we just want to create chaos? Well, that's a good way to make permanent changes. That's what I mean. Create constant chaos so the population can't even catch their breath and think about anything. Well, I think this is probably some of the playbook of why these cities are all in crisis for crime. Yeah. More chaos. I really think I really think it's a power I think it really is a power a power grab to federalize all law enforcement. That could so be. The federal government has the power to yeah. and, you know you can call me a conspiracy theory. I I proudly wear my tinfoil hat on certain occasions. But look, there's, there's so much out there. Look, there's I'm, so much out there that I'm thinking you know, about upgrading I'm thinking about scrapping my tinfoil hat and getting somebody to make me a stainless steel helmet. <laughs> well, I mean, you see it in so many different areas. And if you take two steps back, you, you can kind of put things two and two together. I mean, if you can still add without taking off your shoes, you're still doing okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. It's, uh, it, it's, it's getting scary. I think it's been scary for a while, but it, it's just too much. It's too confusing. It doesn't make sense. Uh, let's uh, let's go to Alabama. Paul, what's on your mind today? Lots of things there. Wasn't Mike Beckett doing Chrome Hacks? I think he was. That's right. Yeah. He'll be up shortly, so we better hurry. Um, the guy that had the aluminum in the oil sample, was that a Detroit 13 liter? It was, DD-13. So... Mark Gwynn, the guy I mentioned, he had, he has a D13 in his Western Star, and he was getting uh, aluminum in his oil samples. Okay. Well, then he's about five 600,000 miles, give or take. I'm not exactly sure. The turbo come apart. The housing, aluminum coming off the inside of the housing because it was getting worn. So that guy might want to check his turbocharger. Good, good idea. There is a lot of aluminum in there. Thank you. It's a good thought. Yeah. So, and then since you mentioned about the that bill for the heavier car carriers, yeah, they want to go to a ten percent increase, which takes you to eighty eight, and then but no more than a ten percent on uh, on an axle, you know, on a tandem order, which will take you up to thirty seven four hundred, because electric cars are going to be heavier. So, if I don't do electric cars. Can I still be 10% heavier because cars in general are getting bigger and heavier? Or do I have to have a full load of electric cars? Or do I have a half a load of electric cars? So, yeah. what, if, what if we do this? Well, what, what, if, I, what if we just leave the weight alone? We let you pull half loads. And since you're you know, part of the green movement now, I think the government should just subsidize you. 
Well, my truck is green and white. So there you go. There you go. I, I think I think you should get a government subsidy for hauling the electric cars. Yeah, I haven't hauled many though. Uh, so if I say I have a pet calf and I take a calf with me, I now claim the livestock exemption. I think so. But why? Yeah, so I, I just, you know, even a little calf still takes up a lot of room and eats a lot and poops. Why not just take a chicken? Well, that'll work too. Yeah. Maybe an egg. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Aren't uh, aren't bunnies livestock? Well, if they're alive, they would be, yeah. Get yourself a little pet bunny and call it livestock. Pet rabbit, there you go. Yeah. I couldn't be a pet rabbit. I'd have to be a commercial rabbit to be livestock. Yeah, but you know we yeah. can we can still make friends with it. We can we give can it a name. And, yeah. So and and yeah. hey, come on, uh, think think about it. In emergency situations, you've got another couple meals there. That's right. On <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that on that weight exemption, I think they should just go a different route altogether. I think they should just let us run on six axles at ninety one thousand pounds, which does not change the bridge floor formula. Yep, there you go. And if I want to run heavy at 91,000, I'll do it. If I only want to stay on five axles and run at 80, I can do that too. So, so here's, here's, here's what I wonder. If we are always willing to give out these exemptions, we give out exemptions to hours of service all the time because of some weird situation. Now we're willing to give up know some more weight well well then why isn't that just the weight regulation anyway yeah exactly because make rules and then oh well these guys can't comply with right. those rules so they get an exemption yeah so, yeah although one rule for all and not just for some so yeah, yeah. so like it say say i say i did livestock and it's like oh i do that four days a week i don't have to use an eld or any of that crap, but then I want to go and haul cars for the other three days a week. But now I got a, I'm the same driver, different truck maybe, but doing a different job. I got to, oh, I got to do an ELD now. Holy crap. Yeah, I know. To America. I know. And a confusion. <laughs> that's right. Right. That's, that's all I got. That's all we need. Thanks for the call. All right. Uh, getting ready to tackle the last call on the board. You want to jump in? I'll hang out for a bit, see if there's any more calls. 855-950-3835. going to head off to Atlanta this time. Philip, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. we got a slow drip of chaos going on. Yeah, good way to describe it. It's, it's just, it's not planes into buildings anymore. It's just small enough to where you forget about it in two weeks. And something else comes up, and I mean, it's so obvious we're under attack. It's so obvious that it, that our government, that China has infiltrated the highest levels of our government. That I mean, I don't know what they did. They must have threatened him with his son's life or something, and 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 he's helping them. But I don't. Everything he does helps China. Every decision I, he makes, all this crazy stuff that he's doing helps China. Yeah, yeah. You know, the one thing we need to be aware of when it comes to China, I think that we're, I don't know how we want to say this. Um, I think we're smarter than they are. 
I mean in a practical, emotional intelligence kind of thing, because Chinese people are pretty intelligent. Most Asians seem to have higher levels of intelligence and they study more and school is more important to them. But I think in practical, real world, you know, we're, we're moving away from it. We don't demand excellence or strive for excellence the way we used to. Now we cater to the dumbest of the population and we're getting weaker and weaker But the one thing we really have to understand about China, they play the long game. They're not planning for a hundred years from now. They're planning for 500 years from now. They've always been that way. That's how they do this. And they're patient. And we are the exact opposite. We don't have patience for anything anymore. We want everything immediately. And we better understand that no matter how well positioned we think we are, and we're not, our military is a mess right now, our population is a mess right now, and China has a lot more patience and discipline than we do, and we better be careful. You said it. That sounds exactly like what I'm thinking. I think if Joe Biden looked like, if he looked Asian, if his appearance was like, you know, Jackie Chan, I can't think of anybody Chinese, but if his appearance was Chinese, I think it would be a lot more obvious to people. They would be like, wow, this, this, this guy's Chinese. He's, he's not helping us. He's definitely a traitor. And he's, you know, he's, he, I don't know. I, it's crazy. But, but that brings me to my point about the uh, canning, canning meats. And I, I always, after I talk about this kind of stuff, I start getting ads on Instagram. And, and it's, you know, it's like a, a packet that you can buy. And it's freeze-dried food. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that before I ask my investment question. Okay, so most emergency survival food on the market is freeze-dried or freeze-dried and dehydrated, a combination. Uh, There's nothing wrong with those processes of freeze-drying or dehydrating. They're good processes. They don't really destroy a lot of nutrients. Uh, The biggest problem with the food on the market that's dehydrated, it is horrendous quality. Lots of garbage ingredients, way too many chemicals and preservatives that aren't necessary. To can something for 25-year shelf life doesn't require a lot of chemicals. doesn't require any. I can can straight beef and salt, and it's shelf-stable as long as it stays sealed, even 25 years. If the jar stays sealed, the food is safe. Most of the pre-packaged survival food you're going to buy is total garbage. So I, why I'm a big believer in just can your own. Well, okay. That's what I need to do. I guess I need to buy the, uh, the American, what's it called? All American. All American. Buy that and, and, and start canning my foods and just put it in bins in the basement and, yep. and rotate it out every year or, or no, eat, so- eat it a little bit at a time. No, so here's what I do. I way I cook now is so different. About 90% of the protein I consume is all pre-cooked. Really? Yeah, about 90% now. So, when I talk about pressure canning meat, I have several kind of recipes that I can. I can, you know, I will smoke a pork shoulder about halfway done. Then I'll pack it in the jars with onion and green chilies, hatch green chilies, and I'll can that. That's like a recipe. And then, you know, I have meals that I make from that. It's already cooked. You open the jar, you throw in a couple other things, you got a meal. 
I cook uh, a canned uh, sausage, hot sausage, breakfast sausage. Uh, that's all ready to go. I can uh, ground beef, and some of my ground beef is seasoned for, say, Mexican recipes. Some of my ground beef is seasoned for, like, a tomato sauce kind of dish. Uh, I can uh, turkey, and then I can turkey with green chilies. I have, you can can salmon, you can can tuna. Once I can it, that that is the food that I eat every day. I eat out of my canned food almost every day, and then I just keep canning and I keep this in stock. So I'm always rotating my stock anyway, and that is just the food I eat every day. So when the shit hits the fan and we're in the apocalypse, nothing really changes. I'll still be eating exactly the same way I have been for years. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that's definitely what I'm going to do. I called in probably about four months ago, and, and we're really on a big kimchi kick. And I, I started buying kimchi, and I called in, and I said, you know, I'm trying to figure out the best way to eat kimchi. If I should eat it, you know, on an empty stomach in the morning. And you told me that the best way to eat it was as a... Condiment. A condiment. There you go. You remember. So I started trying it. I. I get a package of, of turkey, you know, pretty, pretty lean turkey. And then I add in primal, primal kitchen uh, mayonnaise, you know, oh, good. The avocado. Yeah, man. And, and I also season it with like bone broth. There you go. So I have that and I've got the, the mayonnaise in there. I put the kimchi on top, on top of it, that dill, ah. uh, wild broth. I think it's called it's amazing isn't that like just the, the the taste the texture the balance that that is one of my favorite meals a good fatty oh, cut did. of meat with a bunch of really spicy kimchi on top i love that meal oh, and me too i so good and then if you get tired of it you can switch it up with the mayonnaise because you know they've got all the different kinds of mayonnaise and you could do well, it with different kinds of bison or ground beef so think about it this is a very very simple meal three components all of them can be kept with you on the truck without any real refrigeration the mayonnaise a little bit you gotta there's a couple things you could do there Uh, for the most part you all of your canned meat you can take with you in the truck needs no refrigeration you take your kimchi with you you have three ingredients in this dish and we can alternate all of them we could use a dozen different cuts of meat and animals, the duck, chicken, turkey, pork, beef, elk, bison, whatever you want. We can alternate the kimchi. There's a thousand different kimchi recipes out there. and We can alternate the mayonnaise. And now we have a really healthy, nutritious, filling meal. Tastes excellent. We can have three or four different varieties of it on the truck with us. Yeah, it's really good. Good for keto. Good for people that, you know, need a little need a little fermented food in their diet. And then you throw some Himalayan salt on the top of it and oh. it brings out the flavor even more. It, isn't it incredible how good that food tastes? Yeah, I'm so glad you told me about that. Good. I was just eating kimchi bites, you know, just big spoonfuls of it. And then I started putting it on my meals and I'm like, I can do this every meal. It's so good. I, I do it almost every meal. I mean, kimchi just goes on top of almost everything for me. Not necessarily just kimchi, sauerkrauts and other recipes of fermented cabbage and, 
you know, get creative. When you're making your own fermented cabbage at home, get creative. You can put all kinds of stuff in there. Yes, I really appreciate it. Do you have time for my investment question? Sure, go ahead. We've got uh, Rolling Toast standing by. So uh, as soon as we finish this, this don't rush, we're fine. I'm just letting everybody know Rolling Toe will be coming up right after this call. All right. I have listened to you for a long time. You helped me through when the years were really good and the money was pouring in and you were telling me to save it and pay off my debt. I was doing that. And if it weren't for you, I would have been sitting like an idiot. And and now there's so much less stress in my life. No no mortgage. Like all my congratulations. Oh man, it helped me so much and I really appreciate that. But one of the things you used to talk about is spending money to reduce your taxes and that some people start businesses to do that. Like that's in their mind. They think about how they can get away with paying taxes. And and I'm, I'm in that situation right now where I've got a side business going, it's making a lot of money, and I don't have any expenses to offset it, and I'm paying so much money into the into taxes. I just hey, got a tax bill. Philip? Yeah? I've got a great solution for you. You ready? Yeah. Yes. Based on what you've told me so far today, I think you trust me a little bit, right? With everything in my heart. Good. So for anybody, not just for you, for anybody who's out there thinking that there's there's got to be some way for me to spend some money and create some sort of a tax advantage. I've got it. I like helping people. I'll help everybody out. Anybody that wants a little help here, real simple, write a check, drop it in the mail, send me the money. I'll pay the taxes on it. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> if you do some consulting for me, I would actually love to do that. But yeah, I see your point. Just Just pay the tax. Just pay the taxes. It kills me. I know. I know. I get it. It makes me insane too. But our goal is to have as much money in our pocket as we can. And that's how you do it. All right. I'll do it. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the call. We are going to wrap this up. Mike and Kevin Beckett are standing by for rolling toe. So give me about uh, five minutes to wrap this up and get their show started. And they will be right back. So start lining up your calls for them right away. This is a talk show, all-in talk show. They need uh, they need you to jump in and join them. So we'll see you back here tomorrow. I believe I've got John and Henry. Joel's busy tomorrow. I haven't heard from John in a while. I'm looking forward to getting getting John back and getting caught up on what he's been doing. And we'll make it a Freaky, free-for-all, Friday, technology efficiency. We'll throw all that stuff in there, and and we'll throw in that other theme. There's three of us. I'm going to commit those two. We'll make it a call-and-ask-us-anything day, the fun of it. All right. We'll see you then. Stick around for Rolling Toe and start calling. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always the hard work and master the journey.